Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. This podcast is sponsored by Salomon. Salomon is a French sports equipment manufacturing company based in the heart of the French Alps. Now Salomon brings to the market a more sustainable Nordic ski, S-Max E-Skin. This new S-Max E-Skin is more environmentally friendly since 45% of the ski core is made of recycled plastic bottles. This new Salomon S-Max E-Skin is the best option for active skiers who are looking for a performance and flexible free solution. Hello, everyone. Once again, uh, this is Usha Tulevi podcast. Uh, I am your host, Ademo Virtanen, and Engadin La Diagonela ski race is now behind us. Really an interesting, exciting race, as always. This time around, not too cold. Uh, perfect winter conditions, though. A little bit snow in the air. And I have Tur Asriyedalen on the line. And really on the line, as I am calling him, uh, on, on the phone and not the usual way we do podcasts but uh, due to the fact that it's, uh, the connection is a little bit tough over there wherever you are uh, so we'll do this on the phone uh, first of all happy to have you on, on our show as always and uh, let's start with the show how was it you know the race overall you were eighth in the race possibly not something that you're overly happy with uh, no of course not I'm aiming for a goal um, uh, today was a a little harder day at uh, at the job, so uh, yeah, it was snowing. It was a really fighting competition. So uh, yeah, there were at least seven guys that did here today, maybe even more. Indeed, but of course the place is something that you like. I assume that uh, the, the location itself and the Engadin Valley is one of your favorites. Of course, it's a, it's a very nice valley, and uh, we have uh, been here for uh, about a week now, and uh, it's been sunshine and beautiful weather, and it's it's actually it's a very nice place for people to come to. So I, uh, for all recreational skiers, sit uh, your holiday, one week holiday down here, and finish off with La Degonella, or start off with La Degonella, so yeah, I think you will never regret that. Indeed, that is something that I always keep telling whenever I'm com- commentating these races, that it's a perfect place for recreational skiers as well to go there, do the race, train, and then maybe do much longer afterwards. But uh, let's talk about the race itself. We go through uh, point by point. Uh, so that'll be next for us. <music> 55 kilometers this time around. First of all, it's 10K shorter than normally. Did that affect you or any of you guys at all or is it the business as usual even if it's a bit shorter? I think it will affect uh, some of us of course and especially the uh, traditional uh, skiers that are coming from World Cup. I think they have a better chance now that it's not that long because for every kilometer we are uh, racing the uh, the arms feels longer and longer especially for those guys who have not been training for it. 
respect for the, the rest of us, the, the rest of us, Christmas Classics athletes, I don't think it matters that much. It's uh, the skis and it's the fighting and it's tactics. And uh, I think, I think, Casper has been the best anyway today. And then the conditions. Last year was really cold. Everybody remembers that. Now very different. Uh, the snow, I think it, it affected a little bit, at least at some point when your speed got uh, uh, quite uh, slowed down quite a bit. But how much did the, the, the snowfall actually affect the race? Oh, it's uh, just like yeah, last, last year. It's, uh, uh, when the new snow is coming, it's going so much slower. So uh, partly, with, uh, especially from uh, St. Moritz to uh, Engadin and that was another thing. It felt like if you were out of the uh, skidoo or not behind that and not in the that one's course, it felt like you had stepped on a gel or something. It felt like something was wrong. So out in the new snow there, it was really uh, slow snow. But uh, back again in Bever and the last uh, 20 kilometers, it was it was quite okay again. So uh, it was changing conditions. And the sprint point was quite early on, only five kilometers into the race. Uh, did that, what kind of happened there in terms of the speed and everything you started, and then quite soon you had to go through the sprint pretty much, and, and that usually changes kind of the nature of, of, of the, the race a little bit when you have those sprint, sprint points. Of course, it was a pretty high speed from the start, and I think uh, <clears throat> we started in a downhill, and... <laughs> The first five kilometers was downhill, so that was an interesting start. And uh, the sprinter guys, they are really strong, you know, in this double, uh, double callings uh, downhill. They are, they are strong and they are fast, so everybody just had to keep up with them and uh, following the pack. So yeah, it was a fast start. Were you surprised that the uh, the Czech skiers Stosek and, and and then those guys were, of course, the embed for second, but were so fast, you know? I didn't, I didn't even see them. I was so far back in the back. <laughs> so I don't know what happened in the center. But that sometimes seems to be kind of a tactic for you, that if it's a race like this, you, do, you take your time, so to speak, and you ski kind of in the middle of the peloton. Is that something that you yeah. tend to do? Is that your, your tactic often? Yeah, sometimes it's my tactic. Sometimes it's just in the front. Uh, depends on the race, on, uh, on the skis, and on how, how I feel. So... Uh, but like for today, it was for sure a tactic to not catch any win and not uh, make uh, make way for the others by stepping up the uh, track. So uh, I had to do what I can to stay with the other guys. I was not the strongest today, by far. And then after the sprint, uh, that's of course uh, when the race or the first hills, the uphills, uh, came about. What about the speed and what about the you know the the race when you guys reached that point? I think everybody was a little bit uh, looking at each other, uh, wondering who will put the pace, who will do the job here at set the pace. And uh, it was nice, was in the front. Uh, that was quite uh, cool and funny. And uh, after the headbone or fishbone, uh, as you call it in English, I'm not quite sure. The where we used to have a climb uh, hill 
see it with a real pace. So it, yeah, it got some gaps, and it took some time for everybody to catch it up. Someone even had to wait all the way down to Valderosig before they caught it up. So uh, yeah, he uh, he made the race really interesting. And I also noticed that uh, you mentioned the herringboning of that steep hill, and I think it was Rune Skalmathisen who was leading at the time. And he really slowed down. I kind of looked behind and just took his time and walked up the hill. Uh, of course, there's nothing you guys can do about it. It's so narrow, that point. Yeah, and also, it's, I, think, I think that's pretty fair and good because when, uh, when you're using that technique, it's very easy that your ski is uh, uh, gliding a little bit. And that's skating. And we see someone who are doing that. I can mention a lot of names, but I will not do that on the podcast. And that is cheating. So it's better to do like he did today, to just slow down and to do it correctly. And then when you come up the hill, you can double pull again. And when he did start a double pull, he did put on a real pace. So then it's too bad if you're in a little sort of behind in the pack because uh, it becomes gaps and the pace is high. So you have to work to catch it up. And then after the hill, of course, there's a bit of a downhill, curvy downhill towards the second sprint uh, point and uh, San Moritz. In the past, that's been a bit of a tricky downhill. Some accidents uh, and crashes uh, have happened there. But I assume that now the speed wasn't that bad and nothing. I assume nothing happened there on that downhill. I, I think it was because of uh, the speed. It was pretty much like coming down one and one. And then, then we pretty much have a control. It's the problem is uh, when we are more than one person side by side in into the corner, and someone tries to catching up someone, and suddenly you are into the ski tracks or something outside where it's hard and where it's soft, and suddenly you have the uh, accident and they fall around. So I think today it was uh, easier because you're pretty much like. Yeah, keeping focus on yourself down there. And then you reach the second sprint point on the lake uh, next to uh, San Moritz. Beautiful location, by the way. Uh, anything you want to say about that sprint, second the second sprint point? Yeah, I was uh, closer to the uh, to the top there, so I could see what was going on. But um, yeah, it's a sprint, a flat sprint, and uh, followed by. Uh, feeding station, so it was perfect, and everybody are waiting or preparing for the next hill from St. Moritz back to Pompesina and then Valdorfig, so uh, it's a tactically uh, interesting part of the race. And generally speaking, sprint points, uh, they're a very pivotal part of Bismarcky Classics and the sprint competition, of course, and it's something that you focus on, but how much do those affect your skiing, knowing that speed will always increase? but they are not really, it's not a competition that's that important, you know, to you. To me, it's not important at all. I have no chance in the sprint competition. Uh, although, unless you had the green bead a lot last year, that was really cool. Uh, but I have no chance in the, in the real sprint competition, in the sprint bead competition. So, uh, for me, that's just a part of the tactics. You know, the pace will increase before the sprint. You know something can happen, so it's part of just a part of tactics. But for me, that's not a competition. I have to focus elsewhere. But of course, you also have to uh, increase your pace and make sure that you stay with the pack 
even if you're not really fighting for the points. Of course. So it's a practical uh, aspect there. That it is. Indeed. And you mentioned the, uh, the second uphill. Uh, you said earlier that after the sprint, everybody was kind of getting ready for the second hill. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. After the first climb, then down, and then the second climb, how tough is the, the second climb compared to the first one? And what kind of happened there? Uh, the second one ain't, ain't that hard, but it's uh, late in the race, so you are more tired and uh, the race is more uh, yeah developed. So those guys are ha- you have good skis, they have become stronger, and uh, if you're not the best day, you're already a bit tired. So there is always a possibility for gaps in the second hill like that. But today it was a lot of people uh, prepared for that, so actually nothing happened. And also it seemed to me that uh, this turn set was quite active there on that hill and even after the hill. We saw quite a lot of him uh, uh, in oh. front. Who did you say? Uh, turn set. Yes, yes. Yes, I saw. He tried and I understand. And uh, I understand that... Uh, was his tactics and his best possibilities. Um, unfortunately for him, the conditions were not on his side. So uh, with this snow, it was really difficult to get a, get a gap, like, uh, like Petr Elias and Chris Esperson did uh, two years ago, and like uh, Oscar Cardini did last year. So the weather conditions, they affect our, our race, like they have always done. Indeed, no breakaways on that particular hill. But what was your tactic at that time? You were in the peloton there, uh, not quite up there, but kind of controlling the situation there. Yeah, I... uh, Well, my tactics at that point was that uh, I do not believe with these conditions that there will be a gap because of the snow. So, but I will be ready with the correct guys are getting a gap, then I have to be ready to attack or defend the position. So I was in control of the of the the top, but not try to put the pace. Not today. And then, of course, after that uh, second climb, another downhill, down kind of back to Pontresina. That's kind of a curvy downhill. You know, the trees are even covered by you know by those mattresses. Uh, but again, I assume not that bad this time around because of the conditions. And then you pass Pontesina and continued uh, towards uh, uh, Rosec, uh turned around. You don't climb all the way up to that uh, beautiful glacier that's upstairs. Uh, and that's pretty much the last uphill until the last 10K. So, uh, but before the Pontresina point, is there anything you want to say about that, that particular section before you guys... Uh, reach uh, for us it's not that uh, <clears throat> not that interesting not usually not nothing not much is happening at that point uh, at least not the downhill but uh, on YouTube there are a lot of uh, let's say accidents and funny videos on skiers from uh, Ingabin Skimhar from there so uh, if you want to look at the people falling on skis you can just uh, google that or YouTube that and you'll find a lot so it can happen a lot there, but usually not for the top top athletes. 
So that's just uh, stay in the pack and be ready for vanrossing. And then uh, vanrossing, things might happen. Someone uh, tried to put the pace, and I saw also both Max Novak and Emil Persson, and maybe fell a little and maybe fell a little in behind in the pack there. So uh, it was some gaps in vanrossing today as well. And then after that, once you guys re- uh, reach Pontresina, then your pace will down quite a bit. And even the, uh, the podium skiers said uh, in the interviews that you guys even talk to each other, that it really slowed down quite a bit and continued yeah, that I know, a, lot of, a lot of skiers came up, yes, because then it was tactical. No, uh, no one wanted to be in the front and uh, do a lot of job for the other guys to get for free. So, uh, yes. Is it, was it because of the snow or wind or both? Or what made that particular section so slow? No, I think it's more the terrain and the snowy uh, conditions for the tracks. So it's so much easier to stay like number two, three, four, and ten. So uh, no one wants to spend more energy than the other guys. So take it all. Things happen. That's all, it's always like that. You have to live the or race the race. You can't uh, make it before start. Although we saw a little bit of, wouldn't really call it a breakaway, but we saw on Southland, you know, pushing quite hard, taking a little bit of a gap there, you know. But I guess he just did it for fun. Yeah, and he wanted to show his jersey. It's, it's perfect. Unless he's a he's a legend, so that's just uh, that's just nice. He got his. Uh, his moment there. And speaking of him, I mean, he did well anyways. I mean, he was still 55 seconds behind, you know, the winner and still up there, like 20-something. But then after you guys passed Zuez, you know, the the original or the former, um, you know, start place of the race, uh, then that's pretty much where it starts again with the the final uphills and the last 10-15K. Then the speed uh, got much higher. Yeah, actually... Yeah, actually, the speed started a little earlier in La Punte. So uh, already to La Punte, uh, pace increased just after we uh, caught up uh, Anders Alklan. Then the pace increased into La Punte, that hill. And uh, from La Punte, it was pretty high pace in toward the passing zones or the early start on the hills. So it was some half, half-hearted attacks there. Someone tried, but uh, no, no one succeeded. And then what about the last 10K? I mean, that supposedly was really hot pace. At least that's what the podium skiers said. You know, that it was really, really tough, the last 10K. Yeah, there is the hills there. So uh, it's possible if you have good skis in great shape, it's possible to get the gap there. So uh, different people tried, but no one succeeded. And then, of course, the final climb. It's not as tough and long as uh, Marcelonga, but still, it is a climb. And uh, you know the the hill pretty well. You won the race in the past, so you know how to kind of tactically how to approach that uh, hill. But it wasn't probably your best day there uh, this time around. Uh, no, uh, I was actually pretty uh, beaten up before I got into the last 3K, so uh, uh, I just uh, tried to get the best results with the little I had. So, uh, yes, it's a great hill and it's a possibility to 
it's easy to know what to do. It's just to go faster than all the others, but it's uh, it's quite difficult when you are not the champ of the day. What happened to Maxim Vilekstanin? I mean, it looked like he was going to win or at least fight neck and neck uh, uh, with uh, Stardos, but then suddenly he pretty much died, and it was only a couple hundred meters before the finish and dropped all the way down to uh, to seventh place. He just got that tired. Yeah, that's what happens if you uh, go a little too hard, a little too early. Then, then the physiology will uh, say no. It doesn't matter how much you want. The physiology says no. The lactate, I say, then uh, the oxygen uh, demand gets too high. It's, uh, the taste will just fall off. So, yeah, it's also strong. He looked really strong. So, it was actually a real... Uh, uh, schedule for uh, next year. No, next year, next weekend. And then what about uh, Stardos? Did that surprise you or you were expecting him to do something like this? Uh, I don't know him that well, but I know he's fast. And, uh, I saw the, I know, the charge team, they had, uh, had a good day today with good skis, so... Uh, not that surprisingly that one of those guys did win the race today. So pretty much all the podium skiers, well, of course, once again for Stian Hölgard, you could even see that he was a bit, not a bit, quite disappointed. On the podium once again, but for some reason, he just can't win a race. It's a, why do you think that is? I mean, he's, he's one of the best, but still... Oh, yes, it will come. It will come. It will come. There, it can be different... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons. I think he, will, he knows it the best himself, but uh, he's a very good skier, both in capacity and also in uh, sprint finish. So uh, oh, he, will, he will have his day. So we'll just have to wait and see. Indeed, and he was tactically a little bit too <coughs> far, far behind and took him uh, too much time and effort to, to climb all the way up. He even admitted that himself. But uh, you're right, it, it, it's bound to happen to him one of these days. And of course, in the women's race, it was very much different uh, from you guys. Uh, there were breakaways. Ida Dahl attacked quite early on, got a gap, and then uh, Britta johansson Ukraine and Silje Lin tried to catch her. Then uh, Britta left Silje and uh, took the second place. Then Lina was able to pass Silje. And there was pretty big gaps there between the uh, podium skiers. So no surprises there indeed. But as an overall, before we, uh, we move on, talk about uh, upcoming races, how would you uh, kind of summarize or, or what would you like to say about La Diagonela as a race? This, this race has been uh, part of Christmas Ski Classic since uh, 2014. So it's, it's been around for some time now. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, La Diagonela is a very, very nice race. I recommend everybody to come here and uh, participate and also add on the next uh, week before or after because there's great skiing possibilities here, both for Daniel and also cross-country. So uh, I hope they will continue to be a part of Wisconsin Ski Classics because it's a real nice race and a course. And uh, yeah, it was not that cold. I mean, when it's cold, it's no problem just to put on more clothes. And uh, for the recreational skiers, it will be a beautiful day anyway. So I hope they will continue to stay in Wisconsin Ski Classics. Do you like the course? Itself. It's not my favorite uh, for uh, mind 
to win, but still it's a great course and with the right uh, conditions and right skis, I I have the possibility to win, of course. So yes, it's a nice one. Indeed it is. And now we'll uh, move on to, uh, to talk about upcoming races. And I know, of course, Macha Longa is something that you like a lot, a three-time winner, and you aiming to win that race again. So that'll be next for us. Next weekend, next Sunday, which is always the last Sunday of January, it is a race that everybody knows. It's one of the classics, Macha Longa in Italy. You won the race three times. It's got to be one of your favorites. You even sometimes called Mr. Machalonga. But this time around, you are looking for or shooting for fourth victory, for sure. Of course, I've been close the last few years, but still uh, uh, still not succeeded. Never succeeded. I got in second place. That's great, but it's not what I'm aiming for this year. Once again, aiming for the for the first place, and uh, I have now seven days to prepare, and then we'll, then we'll see. I really like Marcelonga. It's, as I say, it's one of the classics, it's one of the biggest, and it's the first one of the Grand Slam. So, yeah, one of the highlights this season. This is something we've been talking about quite a lot, not just with you, but with all the skiers. But why is Marcelonga? why has it become so big and a, a legendary race? I mean, the course isn't really... It's not that tough, really, except the last climb. It's not that tough, and the uh, weather conditions usually are not the best. It's uh, usually just artificial snow and uh, green or brown outside. So uh, I think it's the atmosphere, it's the last hill, and it's the, the party for the recreational skiers after that makes it uh, big and interesting for, uh, for everybody. And uh, for me, I really liked uh, Cascata, the last hill where, it's, uh, where you're fighting man-to-man against a hill like that. I uh, I found that really challenging and uh, motivational. And I know that you like those type of endings or you like ski races that have something special, like an extra challenge, either it's at the end or somewhere on the course. Right. Yeah, I find that uh, I like it when we have uh, different kind of courses, different kind of challenges, and uh, makes possibilities for different kind of athletes to win, and also makes the training job and the preparations uh, different from time to time. So you have to use your head and uh, look around to see what can I do different to make it easier. So I, I really find those uh, races and those kind of uh, motivational. And how tough is that final climb, really? I mean, everybody talks about it. Of course, recreational skiers, the, the ones who've done it, they know how, how tough it is. But for you guys, after about 67 kilometers of racing, then you have that 2.53-kilometer climb. I think you're pretty much like everybody are uh, the same type today, after the race today, than uh, next week, because uh, you can't do much else than... You all hear that uh, before. Yeah, let's ask Lisanin what happens uh, 100 meters before finish line today. So I think for us it's quite the same, but it's a different technique and different tactics you will put up with to succeed. So, uh, yeah, at least I have been training a lot on the correct kind of uh, hill 
and uh, trying to find the correct pace to complete the hill as the best I can. And tactically, you have to be well prepared, very savvy there, because there's a tunnel right before that. Uh, so you have to, as a skier, you have to be cl- uh, cl- close up there. But the last, like the last five, six kilometers, what usually tactic-wise goes into the, ga- the game? How do you need to approach the hill before the hill starts? Well, I think it's, uh, it feels like it's 70 kilometers with fighting for positions. Uh, keeping your skis and poles intact, staying on your feet, and uh, yeah, just preparing, drinking, and uh, taking in further to make yourself in position in the beginning of the hill. So it's not just the last kilometers, it's pretty much like uh, the whole race is a fight for positions. And the uh, fight is uh, intensified very much in the end. And then when the hill starts, it's pretty much just pushing as hard as you can and and see who's still up there by the end. For us, it's uh, not that different from the ending or the last three kilometers here in La Begonella because we can only do as much as what we have prepared for. So um, physiology allows it. We can ask Maxim today what... Uh, so it's out the last 100 meters, and uh, the same will happen next week if you go too hard too early. So you just have to find the correct pace and go for it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's difficult for you guys to see, but uh, there are always different things to expect when you come to last year. Like maybe one of the tracks are better than the other, or the, uh, the ski is better. Maybe it's soft for the poles, maybe not. So, a lot of stuff like that you have to be prepared for, but you don't know what to expect before you are there and really fighting for it. Indeed, and that, that's what makes Marcia Longa so interesting and a final climb. But uh, that's the first of the kind classics, and you mentioned that earlier. And then, of course, the second race in that particular the Grand Classics trophy competition is Izelska Baresatka, and that's in the mid-February. You have a bit of a break there uh, between Machalonga and Yuseska. What kind of a race is that? And particularly for you, how do you like Yuseska uh, Barasatka? Yuseska is a nice traditional race. They did the kickbacks there for a long time. It's like a mini division for those who know Vinkibana and Bevel. And uh, it's nice woods, nice hills. I have. Uh, not succeeded with uh, winning it yet, without being close. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, quite a challenge as well. So I'm looking forward for that one as well in three weeks' time. And what about the atmosphere in that particular race? I mean, every time I'm over there, it kind of reminds me of, of, of I feel or see that it's very much like a folk fest type of thing. A lot of people together. And the start and the finish area is kind of like a marketplace. Uh, it seems to have a special atmosphere. It's, uh, I guess, just race, and uh, they are really fond of skiing, so it means a lot to them. And it's really nice to race there and to participate because they they make it a party. They make it like uh, not a national day, but a really. Uh, a full, full festival. So uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, honorable to Leicester. I really like it. And speaking of festivals, then of course, a race after that uh, is Tartu and then Vasalope. Tartu is also it's a huge race in, uh, in Estonia, it has a long history. And that's a returning race. It used to be part of Ismaski Classics. How are you approaching that particular race? Have you ever done Tartu, by the way? I've been in uh, Estland and uh, raced there sometime, uh, or sometimes before, both in World Cup and in, uh, as a junior before, but never done the Tartu race. My bigger brother, he has raced it, so um, I have asked him, and uh, also he's, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, educating me a little about it, so uh, that's good, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Estland is also uh, have long traditions for cross-country skiing, so I think that will be uh, very nice. I look forward. I don't like actually. I'm not that impressed of the the course or the uh, what do you say the finish. I think it will be a mass finish or sprinters finish, but uh, we'll see. We have to do the race first. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice race. It's a good course for recreational skiers, but for you guys, uh, it's not that tough, really. I mean, it's a little bit of a roller-coasting, undulating terrain. There's only one long climb. Even that isn't really that bad. And the last 10K, very, very much flat. So you might be right. It's most likely a spring finish for you guys uh, there. But it's only two weeks before Vasalopet. You don't have that usual break, the three-week break that you uh, uh, usually get uh, for training. Do you think that that's going to uh, affect you guys quite a lot that you don't have that much time to prepare for Vasalopet or take time to, to train before Vasalopet? Uh, I think people will do differently there. I think someone will race, uh, race for, for and prepare for that one as a big race itself, the title. And I think there are other people who will prefer the, to prepare as best they can for Vasalopan, do not, never mind that matching character. So I think we will differentiate a little in between us at least for what to do for the character when it's so close to Vasalopes. And what is your plan? How are you going to spend that time between those two races? And what's your plan? I have a, I have a plan, but I think uh, I will... Waited finalizing it until uh, at least after Mashalonga and maybe even after Jusalka. What to do and uh, at least how I train. That depends also on how my body responds to the training and the races I've already done. So, uh, you know me, I won't give away any secrets there. Yeah, of course not, but Vasalopin, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's got to be a special race. But you won the race uh, last year. You have the record, record time as well. By the way, did you get the car? Because you, the, usually the record uh, breakers get uh, get a car from the organizers. I uh, haven't seen any cars. So no, it's, I think that came to be a little, uh, little smaller, but money, uh, money price is bad. So uh, unfortunately for me, it was no car. I could use a car. My, my car is pretty old. We'll have to talk to the Vasalopet organizers. But maybe, as you said, it was a special race last year, not the, not the, re, uh, the normal race with all the people uh, in it. It was only uh, created for or organized for you guys there. But Vasalopet, since you won it, what's, what do you want to say about that particular race? It's the biggest ski race in Sweden, the biggest one in the world. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's one of the longest. It was the longest we were racing. And, uh, 
so many skiers, so many recreational skiers there. It's uh, it's a really big arrangement for everybody. So uh, it's also taking a lot of focus from media and from a lot of others. So it makes everything big about uh, the Vasilapa. Uh, it's not the most demanding course. We will have that one more in origin at least. But still, it's uh, a lot of nervous people there from the community to start. So, yeah, it's a good race. And since you won the race, how much did that, or if if at all, change your life? Or did you notice that being a Vasalopet winner, people may approach you or, or feel differently about you? Uh I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. I think in Sweden it's a game changer for the athletes. In Norway, it's among other results that defines you or uh, defines your uh, what you call uh, status as a skier. So it's not uh, changing everything like I think it uh, would do in uh, in Sweden for our Sweden. So uh, for us, it's the prestige in making it and being there. That's bigger than the everything that follows. Yeah, you're right. I think in Sweden, uh, you become a legend if you win uh, Vasalopet, uh, but maybe it's not the same in your country and in, in, in other countries. But nevertheless, I'm Vasalopet is the biggest ski race. And after that race, you guys have... a two-week break again, and then Birkebanner in it. Uh, what's going on with Birkebanner in terms of kind of the reputation and the race itself uh, in your country? We talked about Vasalopet being number one. Birken's always been right up there. But you being uh, from Norway, how, how important is that race uh, for your country, for your culture? Five years ago, it was the race. It was the biggest race. And um, for the financial uh, elite, it was uh, the most important thing, even more important than what kind of car or what kind of watch you were wearing, what time you had them making. So they were really focused about time, not how far behind the winner, but what's your time in making. So uh, it was really huge uh, in some part of the... Uh, <laughs> Part of Norway, but uh, for the last five years and for the last two years, it has been no bacon. So it will be interesting to see if we can do bacon this year, where it originally is supposed to go. And uh, I, what uh, status it still has or will rebuild uh, because. It is the biggest race, and uh, hopefully people have missed it and really are looking forward to participate and also watch it when it can once again be arranged. So what happened there? Why? I mean, you said five years ago it was the, the thing, the biggest thing, but not anymore. So what really happened there? I'm not sure I have... The whole truth uh, and the whole uh, explanation about it, but uh, it, I think it was a little change in the weather due to uh, a very uh, macho 
uh, atmosphere around it and the timing and who is the best, who is the strongest guy all the time. Uh, and then when it was cancelled because of the weather condition price, and I think some something happened there, made it not that top of the pops to to have a focus on that bigger race. You can do a lot of different races in Norway, which are really nice to do. And uh, then we don't have to travel so long and uh, set up that much of a time to participate in the weekend. So I think something happened there. And also the COVID now has uh, really had a lot of uh, influence on to the Norwegian area. Indeed, and not just in your country, but in, in every country, like over here in Finland, it seems that this is a second winter that we don't really have any long distance or mass start races. Let's hope that it'll change, but it's not looking that good. But after Birken, of course, you guys have uh, three more races, uh, Ore Lopez being there, well, again, returning one other new race, uh, but new race in, in terms of the length and, and kind of the organization. It's a uh, it's a 100k race nowadays. It used to be a shorter race in the past when it was part of Bismarcky Classics. And you guys did it last year. Really tough race. What do you want to say about that particular one? That is the longest race in Bismarcky Classics. That is the longest race. And uh, as long as you have uh, brought the Nordicians in into the, our competition, it, it is the longest race and it's the hardest race because it, it has some really long and steep hills. So... Last year it was uh, really a demanding uh, competition, at least for me. We did not succeed that well with the skis, so I had a really, I had a long evening and night after that race last year. Hopefully we will make it better this year. This year. But you like those type of challenges. I know that you're sort of a spokesperson for longer distances, hard, hard uh, races, uh, challenges. So forth. Uh, so you, you, I assume that you're pretty happy that that is included in this Musky Classics. Uh, very much. I like, really like the uh, the development Visma has done the last year with putting in Orkins uh, which is so long and so hard, and then also put it in the Shima bunker, the Drive Shima time trial or the uphill, and also now Lavnesta time trial. There, they are making different places. Um, I, I really like uh, the development uh, if it's nice doing that with Mosquitas is doing that. Since you brought that up, you know, the last weekend's Elavenosta time trial, very different race for you guys. 10-kilometer race and uphill, you won the race. Of course, as a winner, it's easy to say, but generally speaking, uh, do you think that those type of races could be, or more of those type of races could be included in these Pasquet Classics? Shorter ones, maybe interval starts, different formats. I don't think you should have too many of them, but uh, like one one way so maybe at also is is perfect because you have different possibilities for winners. It's uh, the same guys who are top ten anyway, but uh, you see a different side of the athlete, a different side of the competition, a different side of what we have to train for. So I think uh, yeah, I think it's good to have uh, a little variation in the possibilities. So it's not just 42 kilometer. And a big uh, mass sprint in the end because if it's all the same, it's not that interesting, I think. And then two more races uh, to go through: Reisterlöpe and Ullas Levi. Unfortunately, those two races 
uh, just like Birkebeiner, and that we haven't had a chance to enjoy or race uh, since uh, 2019. Reistelöpe, well, it's not as long as Orepes Lopet, but then again, it's a very tough course. And still uh, the only race that hasn't been won uh, by double polling, still uh, diagonal striding, at least so far, has been the king there. But what do you think about this year? Can it be, can it be won by double polling? Oh yes, for sure. It will happen that we will do uh, a winner with double polling there in, in some time. If it happens this year or next, I don't know, but it it will come. Uh, but yes, once again, I really like that we have Rastal up there. A totally different, so hard hills. It's beautiful that we have the different uh, variations in uh, in demanding course. So uh, thank you to Rastaloppe for being part of the Visnoski Classics. And then finally, we have Ulles Levi, the only race in Finland that's perfect place. Of course, I'm, I'm from Finland, so I, I have to say that it's a perfect place to end the season. But it seems to me that really it really is. I mean, a lot of people like it, say it's, it's their favorite, one of the favorites uh, in Visnoski Classics. What about you? I think, what? I think that's because of the party, the after party. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but of course, Ilus uh, Levy uh, is also uh, a really nice race, L- a little bit like Orkelsloppa, not that long, but still, you're, you you have some hills, you have some flat uh, parts of the course. It's it's long enough. It's really long, so it's perfect for for uh, this musky classic skiers. So, yeah, it's a really nice, really nice race. And at the end of the season, with all the snow they got there, it's perfect. Indeed. And we now, again, uh, through all the races that are left and also today's race, overall, I mean, this is something we talked about uh, on the podcast. And by the way, uh, for all the audience out there, uh, if you want to listen to a podcast uh, we did earlier with Thurasle, where he talks about his life and everything, you can listen to that as well, Usha Tulevi. This time around, we are not going to talk about that much about the personal stuff. But if you... Just to kind of summarize this particular season, season 12, what would you like to say overall the season? Visposky Classics, one. Yes, we're just halfway through, not even halfway through, and it's, uh, I'm really proud of being part of Visposky Classics. I think they're developing and moving a lot in the right direction, making the product just better and better, more and more interesting. We have uh, different nationalities, in the top, so uh, it's both exciting and interesting to, uh, so far, and I think it will increase, so just stay tuned, and uh, I'll do my best to be back next week. Indeed, and it goes uh, without saying that your goal is to win the yellow uh, jersey or the overall the champion competition. You've been part of the game since 2015, and you've always been uh, on, on the podium when it comes to the uh, the overall or the champion competition. Uh, your toughest uh, opponents right now, is it Max Novak right now? He's wearing the yellow babe, or it seems to me Emil Parsons is kind of a tough time for him to defend the title right now. Oh, it's too, it's too early to, uh, to pick them out, but of course, Max Novak has uh, found his summer uh, training between the winter time. He's really strong now. And uh, I think Emil Parson will come. Nieder hasn't put up his best side yet. 
Och att Hadim är sån som så där. It's way too early to see. It's got to quite close, but Mott has to win. And in order to win that, like in your case, for example, what needs to happen? Of course, you need to stay healthy. That's the number one thing, I think. But what else? Stay healthy. Uh, keep up the training. Keep up the, the nutrition. That's. I think that's more important than people uh, believe, at least the recreational skiers. They do not know the importance in the nutrition in both training and post-competition. And I think it's, uh, yeah, to just be there the whole season through is uh, one of the key factors for uh, winning the yellow bib. Indeed, and I think you're definitely one of the favorites, one of the candidates to win. Uh, wish you all the best, good luck, and of course I know that next weekend is very important for you. You want to have that fourth victory under your belt, so good luck there as well, and good to have you on, on our podcast once again, uh, Torasle. Thank you. See you. Thank you. And you guys out there uh, listening and watching Bismarcky Classics, indeed, stay tuned for more to come next week and will be really interesting. Machalonga is next. And of course, after that, we'll have a podcast, Uxatu Levi, as always, after the race. Until then, keep training. And remember that nutrition, just like Turase, Yerdalin just pointed out, and just stay healthy and stay happy. And uh, see you guys next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production. This podcast is sponsored by Salomon. Salomon is a French sports equipment manufacturing company based in the heart of the French Alps. Now Salomon brings to the market a more sustainable Nordic ski, S-Max E-Skin. This new S-Max E-Skin is more environmentally friendly since 45% of the ski core is made of recycled plastic bottles. This new Salomon S-Max E-Skin is the best option for active skiers who are looking for a performance and backsable free solution.